morning, church. My name is Adam Reilly. I serve as one of the pastors here at Maranatha and just want to extend another warm welcome to you. Thank you for being here, for joining us in this new year. Um, just real quick, I'm interested, by a show of hands, how many of you made a goal for 2020? I'll ask you again. How many of you made a goal for 2020? It doesn't have to be a huge goal, just a goal. All right, good. That's a good thing. Um, how about for this new decade? Right, if you're not aware, like we're now living in the 20s. Right, when I think of the 20s, I think of like the 1920s. Like now we're in the 2020s, okay? So new decade, maybe you've got a goal for the new decade, right? Could be. When people make goals, what do they make them about? Maybe it's physical. It's their, uh, their diet, their exercise routine or lack thereof. Um, their sleep patterns, they make relational goals. Maybe it deals with our marriage, our kids, our family, our friends. Spiritual goals. As one of your pastors and leaders of the church, I hope that you're making spiritual goals as you enter into this new year. And so maybe you want to read the Bible more or you want to spend more time in prayer. Or maybe you have a goal this year to share the gospel more and to be more bold with your faith. You see, making goals is right. Making goals is good. However, our goals should never come above God's glory. And so if you're someone here this morning that likes to take notes, here's something that you can write down or jot down in your phone. However you take notes, write this down. God's glory is greater than man's goals. As we approach this new year, as we approach a new decade... We should be making goals. It's good and right to make those goals. But let's make sure that the glory of God and living for his name and for his fame in our lives takes precedence over the goals that we come up with in our own lives. Because when we think of man's goals, let's be honest, many times they are self-centered. They're temporary. They're earthly. And so we seek significance and we seek satisfaction and security in the things that this world has to offer. And I'm saying that goals are bad. I'm not saying that. But if we're honest, many times our goals that we manufacture, that we create in our minds can be very short-sighted. They can be self-centered and earthly. And so we look for this significance and satisfaction and security in things like, which we'll talk about this morning, Money and the stuff that money can buy. On the other end of the spectrum, we have God's glory. And unlike man's goals, when we live for God's glory, we are many times other-centered. We look to the needs around us. We look to meet the needs that God has put into our path. When we live for God's glory, we live with an eternal perspective because our life is not all about the here and now. It's everlasting. We as believers get to spend all of eternity in a place called heaven with the Savior we just sang about, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so when we think about goals, specifically as we enter into a brand new series, when we think about financial goals, may we make it our practice, our principle, our commitment that God's glory would always be greater than man's goals. 
As we launch into this new series, I want to start with this simple truth. Um, We need money. We live in the world. And it's a reality of the world we live in. And so maybe you've been to church before and you're like, oh, here they go, talking about money, right? Get the checkbook out, like it's time to give to church again. Like that is not our hope and our prayer for this series. We recognize that money is a reality of life. And we all need it because we use it to put a roof over our heads. We, put, we use it to put clothing on our backs, food on our table. And it's a good thing. And we should strive to make money. But may we never make our goals when it comes to finances greater than God's glory being lived out in our lives. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at questions like, what if everyone put God first in their finances? What if everyone were generous? What if everyone was out of debt? And so here in the month of January, we're going to be learning what God's word has to say about money. It has a lot to say about money. And before I dive in, I I do want to say there's a lot of people in this room, a lot of different walks of life, you got middle schoolers, high schoolers, college age, young adults, young marrieds, parents, grandparents, retirees. Like there's a broad swath of people represented in this room. No matter where you're at, I want you to hear this. God wants to teach you something. And so if you're a teenager sitting in here, don't just check out for the next three or four weeks thinking, well, well that'll apply when I have money someday, right? No, these are principles from God's word that are so applicable no matter where we are at in life. This morning, if you have your Bible, meet me in Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. Luke 16, 1 through 13. As you're turning there, I I do want to read... Just a couple of verses, they're actually at the tail end of this parable that Jesus shares, but it helps us get the context of what's going on in this passage when Jesus communicates these truths. It says this, Luke 16, verses 14 and 15, just for a moment. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, remember that, heard these things and they ridiculed him. They laughed him out of town, right? And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination or horrible in the sight of God. Are we living for God's glory or man's financial goals Um, I also want to focus on, just for a moment, back at the beginning of chapter 15. It's kind of a bookend here with this particular section. Because back in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, there's a conversation that goes on. And in this conversation, Jesus is talking with the religious leaders. And like many times in Jesus' ministry, in his life, the religious leaders had a problem with Jesus. They had, they had a problem with the way he was living his life and the things that he was saying. And so their criticism this time is they said he's receiving sinners and even eating with them. Like, 
That's, that's what Jesus did. He received sinners and he ate with them. He came to seek and to save the lost. So it's out of this tension, it's out of this conflict that Jesus shares four parables. Now, if you're new to God's word, a parable is nothing more than a short fictional story. And Jesus intends to communicate a moral truth by sharing this fictional made-up story. And Jesus is the greatest teacher, the, the, the greatest preacher that ever lived. All right, so when he speaks and he shares these parables, like, we should listen. These are incredible parables and teachings of Christ. And so he starts in chapter 15, verse 3. We're not going to read them all. I'm just going to list these. You can read them on your own. Great, great stories to read. Jesus communicates the parable of the lost sheep. That's the first one. Then, again, out of the tension that's occurring between the religious leaders and Jesus, he shares the parable of the lost coin, followed by the parable of the lost son, or what you might know as the prodigal son. And then, without even taking a breath or switching conversation, it goes right into chapter 16, where we'll read our passage today, the parable of the dishonest manager, or as I would put it, a story about a shady manager. All right? A story, a parable about a dishonest manager. So if you want to read along with me, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 this morning to start. It says this, And he also said to the disciples, so religious leaders are there, now the disciples have joined the conversation, that's his audience. He says, there was a rich man. Imagine this. There's a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought against him that this man was wasting his possessions. So what's the problem? There's a rich man. He's the owner. He has a manager, a supervisor, someone who's taking care of his property, someone who is managing his resources and charges are brought against this manager that he is mishandling the funds. That he's not rightly handling the possessions of this owner. So verse 2. And it says, and he called him. He's going to bring him to account on this flaw, on this failure. And he says to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. So what's happened? This man's failure, this man's dishonesty is brought to light. And he is fired. He loses his job. He's no longer employed by the company. He has shown the door, whatever you want to call it. He loses his job because of his inability to rightly manage the funds, the possessions of his owner. Verse 3. And it says, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am too ashamed to beg. And so what is he doing? So he gets fired from his job, and what mode does he immediately go into? Blame the boss, make excuses. You see that? It's my manager who took my job from me. And I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. And so he automatically kind of goes into this blaming making excuses kind of mode. Verse 4, now the wheels start spinning. He's formulating some sort of plan. Verse 4, I have decided what to do. 
so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Here's his motive. He wants the people that he has business dealings with to receive him now into their house. He's got a plan. I want us to remember he's got a plan. Things are in the works. So let's see how it plays out. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. Now just for a moment, to put this in today's context, how much oil is a hundred measures of oil? Most commentators believe that this equates somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 gallons of oil, of olive oil. Right? If you've ever been to the grocery store, olive oil is kind of expensive. Right? You've got vegetable oil, you've got canola oil, you've got olive oil. It's a little bit more expensive. This individual owes 800 gallons worth of olive oil. It's the produce that would come from approximately 150 olive trees. Right? Significant debt. Significant amount of money that is owed to this man. And so what does the manager say? He says to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Now, I don't know this. this maybe it's in the Greek or something. But my guess is that this happened on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Like this is a doorbuster, Black Friday, 50% off. All right, you're getting it now. Sale, okay? Because the manager, that's what he does. He goes to this person who's in debt, a lot of money, and he says, take your bill, cut it in half. You now owe only 50% of the remaining balance as opposed to all of what you owe. Okay, this is his plan. This is how he is going to save his his job, or he's going to make sure he has money to provide for his life. We didn't stop there. We get at least one other example. He then goes to another, verse 7. And how much do you owe, he says to this individual. And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. Again, present day context. How much are we talking about here? Again, most commentators believe here that this is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 bushels of wheat. It's the equivalent of a 100-acre field that you would get at harvest time. Again, significant debt. A lot of money is owed here. And again, what does the manager do? He says to him, take your bill and write 80. 20% off sale. You only owe 80 instead of the full 100. And so at this point, if you're reading this story, you're like, why, why is Jesus sharing this story? Like, this doesn't seem like we should do what the manager is doing. Like, that seems unethical. That seems wrong, right? And so the question is, <laughs> what's going on here? And more specifically, how will the master respond? Because if I'm the master in this position, I'm like, you just lost me 400 gallons worth of income. You just lost me 800 bushels worth of income. What were you thinking? But look at verse 8. Again, Jesus, greatest teacher ever, says the master commended. Come again? Commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of light, the sons of the world, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. 
what in the world just happened? It doesn't make sense to us. Why in the world would this master commend a man who is dishonest, it seems unethical, it seems immoral, what he has done, he has cheated these, his master out of all of this money. Why would the master commend the manager for what he calls shrewdness? And there's a lot of debate. This is a difficult passage to walk through. But as I studied this passage, what emerged as the truth, again, this was helpful for me as I was reading this passage. When we come to the parables, it's important to remind ourselves that when Jesus teaches through a parable, he is seeking to communicate not many truths, one truth. One truth. And so the question should be, as we're interpreting this text, what is the one truth that Jesus is trying to teach? What I believe that one truth to be is that this manager had a plan. He had a plan. You can't fault him for his plan. He went from being a manager who was wasting possessions, who was doing nothing in his job. He was wasting time and wasting money and wasting energy. And now, through this experience, he has now formulated a plan. He's executing this plan, and he is seeing it come to fruition. He has a plan. I believe that is the one truth that Jesus is communicating when we think of our finances and the money that God has entrusted to us, the responsibility that God has entrusted to us. Do we have a plan? Are we making goals and seeing to it that those goals and those plans are under the authority of God and therefore the glory of his name? As we come to verses 9 through 13 then, I believe Jesus now will in some ways switch gears. He shared this somewhat complex parable. And then he follows that up with some very practical truths. Some things that bring clarity and help us understand what he's talking about in this difficult passage of scripture. I'll say it this way. As we look at verses 9 through 13, we are told how to use money for God's glory. How can we use the resources, the possessions, the financial status, the money that we have been entrusted with for God's glory? Maybe a better question would be, what are God's goals, God's goals for our finances? What are God's goals for the finances that we have? And I'll give us three. First, live generously. Live generously. We see that in verse 9. It says this, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I believe what's going on here in this verse is we're seeing the biblical truth, the principle that we are called to practice giving, being generous, sharing with those that God has placed in our lives. Because when he says, make friends for yourselves, how is that best done? It's not living lives where we're closed off and we don't listen to others and we don't share with others and we don't bless others. No, the way we make friends for ourselves is we're generous. 
with the use of money that we have and the possessions, and we use all of the resources that God has given us to glorify his name and to bring good to those around us. And so as you look at this year, 2020, maybe you have a goal you want to make more friends. Or you want to deepen your relationships and deepen your friendships with the people that God has already placed in your life. You want something practical to help with that process? Be generous. Be generous. Look to serve and to bless and to be generous with those that God has put in our lives. Another question, maybe you look at 2020 and you want to use your money more wisely. Good first step. Be generous. Maybe you want to experience God's blessing this year. Be generous. And so the question is, okay, I, I get it. We're supposed to be generous. How do we go about doing that? We don't have time to go through all of the ways because the opportunities, the options are really endless. But maybe just for a few to get your, your mind going. Maybe there's someone in your life who you know might be struggling financially and so you have an opportunity to help them meet a financial need. You might have that opportunity this year. Or maybe you know someone who has just had a baby. Or they've had a, a death in the family. Or there's sickness in their home. One way that you can very practically bless them is by taking them a meal. Showing them kindness by simply providing a meal for that family or that individual. Maybe you're a man in here and you're like, well, I enjoy sports. I enjoy watching sports. This is practical. Maybe you invite someone to your house to watch the big game. Or you've got two tickets and you're going to the game and you invite someone to go with you. You see, what I want us to understand here is when it comes to generosity, it's not about just the dollar signs and how much money we have. It's about the kind of life that we live. It's about our hearts and our willingness to give of the things that God has given to us. When I think of this, I, I'm reminded of a story. I'm not leaving. I'm going back here to get this, this prop. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember every holiday season, my grandpa really, he would order a box of Washington State Red Delicious apples. I did not order this. This is from Giant Eagle. Um, the ones that he got in the box, I swear to you, they were huge. Right? We used to say it's a meal in and of itself. Right? You could eat it and be filled. But what my grandpa would do is every holiday season, he would order this huge box of Washington State Red Delicious apples. And he would put it in the front seat of his 1986 Chevy Silverado pickup truck. He was a farmer. And so when he was going from his farm to town, he would often stop at other farms along the way. And he would ask them how harvest is going or how the year went for them, just investing in them. And as he walked into their house or onto their farm, he would take with him two or three red delicious apples. I don't know what my grandpa paid for a box of red delicious apples, but it doesn't matter, right? It wasn't that much money. It was the intentionality. It was the thought that counted. And I remember when he passed away in 2011, I had the opportunity to preach at his funeral. I remember so many area farmers and people that came up and shared stories about how he invested through a simple apple being given at the holiday season. 
So I want us to think outside the box. A lot of times when we think generosity, it means lots and lots of money. It's not. Being generous is a way of life, and I believe God is calling us to live generously. He says, make friends for yourselves. How? Again, difficult passage. He says, by means of unrighteous wealth. Unrighteous wealth? Did I just read that right? Unrighteous wealth. Again, this is a difficult verse, but what I believe Jesus is saying, how we should rightly interpret this phrase, is that in a general sense, all money and all possessions are unrighteous. Why? Because they are of the world. Let's remember Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, it affected everything in the world we know it. Even the wealth, the finances, the money that we have, Jesus is saying, use unrighteous wealth. I love this idea here because like many aspects of our culture, I believe as the body of Christ, the church, one of our roles, one of the things that God would ask of us is that we would take the unrighteousness of this world and use that for God's righteous plans. That we would redeem our lives, our world, the things that we have at our disposal to see God's goodness and his grace spread throughout the world. He says, by means of unrighteous wealth. Why? Jesus says, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What we see here in this verse is that our generosity plus the gospel message brings eternal rewards both to us and those that we bless. I want to say that again so that we all... Remember this, our generosity plus the gospel message, the story of Christ, when we share that, that brings eternal rewards to both us and those we bless. You can put it this way, generosity plus gospel equals hope. When we live our lives generously, both in the way we act and the way we treat other people and generously in the way we share the gospel message, that everyone we come in contact with, we want to share the hope of Christ. That brings practical, life-giving, eternity-shaping hope to those individuals. Generosity plus gospel equals hope. Live generously. Here's the application under this first point. Everybody up here. Got it? Release your grip. Because many times we in this world, we think we have to white knuckle grip our finances and the possessions that God has given us. And what I believe God is calling all of us to do is simply release our grip. It's not ours anyways. I love what Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24 says. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Notice the backward kind of orientation of this passage. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. One withholds what he should give and only suffers want. We release our grip, giving sacrificially, giving cheerfully to those that God has placed in our lives. And under each of these points, here's what I want to do, because this is a, a passage and a series on finances. I want it to be practical. And so I want to give you one action step before we move on. Here's the action step. Start a blessing fund. Like, what's a blessing fund? How I would define this blessing fund is that in your budget, if you don't have that, we'll talk about that in a moment, 
in your budget have a line item where it literally says blessing fund. And again, it's not about the dollar amount. It could just be, for starters, it could be 10 bucks a month, $20 a month, whatever the Lord would call you to put. But to say every month I'm making it my goal by God's power and help that I'm gonna take $20 of the money that God has entrusted to me and I'm going to bless someone in my life with that. Start a blessing fund. I'm reminded of a quote from my camp director um, that I I worked at a a summer camp down in Georgia over college. And he would always say these words, seek to be a blessing and not a burden. Being a burden, that comes naturally to us, right? Being a blessing means that we live our lives on purpose. Start a blessing fund. So live generously, number one. Number two, how do we live for God's glory when it comes to our finances? Number two, be faithful. Be faithful. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? We're called to be faithful. What, what Jesus is getting at here is biblical stewardship, that we've all been entrusted with good things from God. And the question is, are we faithful with those things? There's some simple equations here in this text. Did you notice them in verse 10? Very simply, if you're faithful and very little, then because of your character and your integrity, the way of life that you have committed to living, you will be faithful also in much. You see it? But the opposite is also true. If you're dishonest when you have very little, you will likely be dishonest in much. But if I just had more money, then I would be generous, Adam. If if I just had more money, then I would get out of debt. If I just had a little bit more, then I'd start saving for my retirement, saving for my kids' college fund, paying off my home. If I just had a little bit more. And if we're honest with ourselves, you know that that equation doesn't work. Because Jesus says it himself, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in little, you'll be dishonest in much. Being faithful with money is not normal. Here's how I know that. Because the normal American dream involves $29,000 on average of student loan debt. Currently, the total is somewhere around $1.2 trillion dollars in our country. The normal American dream involves $30,000 on average of car loan debt, equating to somewhere around $500 per month. The normal American dream involves $15,000 on average of credit card debt. I found this interesting, and these statistics are a couple years old, so it's probably more. But there are 1.2 billion open credit cards in the United States alone. So, Christmas morning, Merry Christmas. Kids see a mountain of gifts. Parents see a mountain of debt. 
but at least we got those credit card points, right? And so the normal American dream, what I want us to see is really not a dream. It can become a nightmare because the normal American dream is one of debt. And if debt is normal, hear me on this, then I want to become a grade A weirdo. Like, I, I don't want to be normal if that is what being faithful with finances look like in our country. Because God's word has so much to say, so much practical things to say when it comes to our money. And it's not meant to be a straitjacket, folks. It's meant to bring freedom to our lives. So that we can live lives of incredible generosity, blessing those that God has placed in our lives. Verse 11, it says, just the logic, think the logic of this passage. It says, if you haven't been faithful with your money and your possessions, then who's going to trust you with true riches? Verse 12, if you haven't been faithful with God's money now, then what reasons are you giving him to bless you in the future? We're called to be faithful. Again, it's not about the amounts. It's not about the size. It's about faithfulness. It starts in our hearts. So here's the application under point number two. Take back control. Take back control of the money that God has entrusted to you. If we're honest, there are seasons of our life, if we're not careful, it is real easy to begin allowing our finances to control us as opposed to us controlling our finances. And I believe, just like anything in life, it starts with right theology. Hear me out. It starts with right theology. Because when we have the right theology, which is our belief of God and who he is and what is true of him, when we have right belief, then our lives will be lived rightly as well. And so what truth about God kind of comes to bear on our finances. Here it is. If every dollar belongs to God, and I believe God's word teaches that it does. If every dollar belongs to God, then it matters how we spend every dollar. It matters. Because it is what God has entrusted to us, and we are called to be faithful stewards, faithful representatives of him in the life that he's called us to live. The New Testament says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's about faithfulness, taking back control. And so how do we do that? What's the action step? Here it is. I challenge you this year to stick to a monthly budget. All right, simple. It seems basic. It seems elementary. But hear this. 57% of U.S. households do not have a budget. 57%. And so we can assume that everybody has a budget and they're sticking to it, but we know the truth, that that is simply not the case. Some people kind of balk at the idea of a budget, saying it's, it's a straitjacket, it holds me back, it's restricting. Well, that's just because the budgeting hasn't been done correctly or properly. Because when it's done properly, it's in accordance with God's word and his standards, I tell you, it is freedom. It's freedom to give generously. It's freedom to save diligently. And guess what? You get to spend too. God wants you to enjoy this life that God has given you. 
I challenge you this year, the year 2020, to stick to a monthly budget. Make it, stick to it. Again, why was the shrewd manager commended in the passage? Because he had a plan. He made a plan and he stuck to it. I do want to give you a quick resource. If you're struggling with this idea of a budget and you need some help or need some place to get started, I would recommend the Every Dollar app by the Dave Ramsey Group. Um, it comes, he has an app, but it's also on a website as well, everydollar.com. Um, it's an incredibly intuitive software program where you can plug in your budget totals. You can track your spending. It's really helpful in creating and sticking to a monthly budget. I also want to... Uh, recommend a class that we'll be offering starting in February. Uh, we are offering Financial Peace University, again, by the Ramsey Group. Um, and there'll be more information that's coming on that, but I want to throw those things on your radar because sometimes you just need a first step. You need something to get going on and, and to start working on. So live generously. Secondly, how do we glorify God in our finances? Be faithful and lastly, serve God. Serve God. Look at verse 13 with me. Look at how Jesus kind of wraps up this argument. He says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here what's come into question and what Jesus I believe is driving at is the idea of biblical authority. How are we living our lives? Do we live under our own authority or do we live under God's authority, biblical authority? And what Jesus is calling us up to is that we would serve God in every area of our lives, specifically in our finances. Now, as you read these, if you're like me, you're like, those are some really strong words, Jesus. And like many times when Jesus speaks, I'm glad I didn't say it, right? that I just get to communicate these truths, that these are the very words of Christ. And, and because these are hard words, these are difficult words from our Savior because he says at the end, you cannot serve God and money. Now, I'm gonna talk to the men for a minute. Men, how many of you struggle to do two things at once? I do, okay? I'm honest this morning here. All right, it's doing two things at once I know multitasking and doing, it's kind of the world we live in today. But if we're honest, we can't do two things at once. And if we do two things at once, we're probably not doing one or both of them well. Jesus is tapping into this. I know women, you're a lot better at this than we are, men. Um, you, you just are. You can talk on the phone, you're cooking, you know, you're texting your friend. Like there's just a lot going on and you're good at that. I'm a one-track mind, I can't do it, okay? I think Jesus is tapping into this truth that as human beings, we have limits, that we can't do all things, we can't be everything. And he says very plainly, very simply, you cannot serve God and money. And the logic of the passage is very simple. He says, no servant can serve two masters. And so how does this work out? If you love one master, you will hate the other. If you are devoted to one master, you will despise the other. So how does this impact our finances? You might be wondering. The logic goes like this. If you love money, then you will hate God. If you are devoted to money, 
then you will despise God. Here's the conclusion, church, that Jesus draws us into. He says, if you love money and what it provides more than God, important phrase there, more than God, then it will be extremely difficult for you to surrender your life to the God of the Bible. Let me say that again. If you love money and what it provides you with more than God, then it will be extremely difficult for you to surrender your life to the God of the Bible. How can I make such a statement? Well, because the God of the Bible says things like this. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The God of the Bible says this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The God of the Bible says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's where I want to be crystal clear this morning. It's not about the money. What Jesus is talking about here, while the topic is finances, it's genuinely, it's truly not about the money. And so I want you to hear me on this. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Wealth is not sinful in itself. It's not. God has entrusted, especially those of us who live in the United States of America, with wealth, with money. And it's not sinful in and of itself. And the same is true on the other side of the spectrum. Poverty is not godly in and of itself. That's not what the Bible teaches And so if it's not about the money, what is it about? It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. It's about our love and our devotion and our service of God. So the vastly important question that we should be answering this morning is, are we serving God or money? Are you loving God with the resources that he has entrusted to you? Are you honoring him with the money that he has entrusted to you? Are you worshiping him, glorifying him, living for him with whatever he has graciously, undeservedly given to you? I had a conversation with a man after the first hour, and I thought what he said was just so good. And so I want to share that with you. The Bible here says, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. But we can serve God with our money. With the money, the resources, the possessions that God has entrusted to us, we have every opportunity to serve God with that. Here's the application. Some of you may be here this morning, and as I say these words, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, and you know that you're off base, you're off track when it comes to finances. Maybe this morning you need to seek God's forgiveness. And know the good news of the gospel is that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. The idea of forgiveness, that we can confess and be made free of our sin, is a beautiful reality that is available to those who are in Christ, who know him as their savior. 
And so maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's working. He's, he's prodding in your heart. Maybe you need to pray a prayer that's very simple. God, I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I have handled money and the ways that I think about money and the ways that I make it more important in my life than you are. Please forgive me. To make this practical, I have an exercise for you. I would challenge you to ask someone who knows you very well this question. How would you describe my attitude toward money in three words? Now, to ask that question, I think, requires a level of humility. And to answer that question requires a certain level of boldness. (laughs) Um, But I challenge you this week, with someone who knows you well, Ask them that heart-level question. When you think of me and you think of money, what three words come to mind? Because if we're honest, we all have those kind of hidden in the deep caverns of our soul, those idols that keep us from God. And when it comes to finances, you're probably on one of two extremes. You're either on the idol of luxury, like you love stuff. And the stuff that money can buy. But there's another side. Maybe you find yourself here. It's the idol of security. Comfort. Things like retirement savings and emergency savings and your ability to provide. All these are good things, but are we making them bigger than what God wants them to be in our lives? Maybe this morning... God wants us to come to him in genuine repentance and ask for his forgiveness, knowing this beautiful truth that God gives grace to those who receive it. Here's the action step, our final action step this morning. I just want to draw us back into this final phrase of Christ. It says, you cannot serve God in money. And so here's the challenge. Here's the action step. Something to take from here with you as you go into your everyday life this week. On the back of your bulletin, maybe you noticed on the very bottom, there's a tear off or a cut off, whatever you want, however you want to get it off of there. Tear it off, cut it off, burn it off. I don't know. All right. But I want you to take that piece of paper and wherever you work on your finances, wherever you are most focused on the money that God has entrusted to you, I want you to post that where you will see it and be reminded of the truth that it is impossible for us to serve both God and money. All right, that's the challenge. I want us to be reminded as we go into this next week that when we think of 2020, when we think of the goals that we have made, that we would make sure that all of those goals are under the authority of God's glory happening and coming forth of our lives. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and we thank you for an opportunity to look at your word and to be reminded of the truths that your word has for us. And so God, I pray if there are people in here this morning that that feel as if they're in bondage, that they're enslaved, maybe it's debt, maybe they're not being faithful in the money that God has entrusted to them. I pray God that you would remind them of your forgiveness and God that you would help them see the next right step to take towards freedom. God, I pray that each of these principles would sink deep into the hearts of those who hear, that God, that they would live generous lives, that they would be faithful with the money that you've entrusted, 
And God, that they would seek to serve you in this area of their life, in every area of their life, God. Father, we love you. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.